Throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourselves? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hi, and welcome once again to Things Worth Considering. I'm uh, Gord Riddell, your host, and my ever-effervescent, happy fairy, Jan Hill. <laughs> Dr. Jan Hill, because we're, we're going to talk about happiness today. And she makes me happy when she's sitting across from me and keeping my life under control. Happy, happy! Uh, hey! That's my uh, job! <laughs> so, you know, this show is uh, uh, set up around the whole premise of us understanding how we connect in this world to others, to our communities, to the things that we like, uh, love, and importantly, to ourselves. Many are rarely connected, though. Uh, unfortunately, we're really not uh, taught how to connect with ourselves. So most of the time we go through life very disconnected and not really knowing why we even feel this way. So, um, you know, what I've heard so for so many years, when, whenever I've asked anyone, what result would you like to see come from our session work? Invariably, they say, to be happy. Yeah, I just want to be happy. Yeah. So we're going to look at that because I think that it's really important because when asked what does that look like, most of us don't really know. So uh, it's Jan. Yeah. Answer me this. Do you think that happiness is a choice or is it only when Lady Luck looks down on us or Mr. Luck and makes uh, the, you know things come together and then we'll be happy? I think it's a state of being. A state of being. Yeah. And Did I that think, answer that question? No. The choice? You didn't give me one of the choices, but I chose my own because <laughs> that made me happy. Did that make <laughs> Yeah. No, I think it's a state of being, right? And it's like uh, when we think about life, usually we're riding that roller coaster between up and down and all over the place and going, why aren't I happy? And then we climb up and we go, I'm happy for, you know, like a brief moment. Yep. And then we crash down again and go, I don't know why I'm not happy. And so I just think it's a state of being. I think that even those really high peaks that we think of as being happy, that we go, oh, now I'm truly happy for like five seconds. <laughs> I don't even think that is happiness. I think happiness is sort of in the in-between stage between the radical up and the radical down. Well, I think that can be cultivated. Uh, absolutely. Because, you know, Gandhi said that happiness is when what you think and what you say and what you do are all in harmony. I agree, right? It's the alignment piece. So uh, it's, That's huge. And that's kind of what you're saying when, you know, it's sort of that middle piece. In other words, when everything's actually kind of working together, that's when we're in that state of happiness. Yeah, when the inside matches the outside. And that what that tells me is it suggests that the outside you've created is a reflection of what's inside your heart. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. That, that just, yeah, that whole thing of congruity. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I'm a big, uh, a, a big uh, inside and outside uh, have to match up. And that's, I always see that as being one of our, our lifelong goals is to keep those uh, equal. Because if our insides aren't matching our, what we're doing outside, we're always going to be in a state of conflict. Yeah, and I think that's actually part of the problem is we don't know, like, we don't know, most of us, what is really inside because we've been so socially shaped, right? Oh. And then... And then even if we do know, it's really hard to allow ourselves to actually bring the inside to the outside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing, you know, that we've been taught, is, it's just, this is just intergenerational, is the conditions we place around it. Yeah. When I get my new car, I'm going to be happy. Yeah. When I get my new car and my job and my wife, I'm going to be even happier. Yeah, that's the externalization, right? Absolutely, and that's what it's that's what's happened to it, though. Yeah, is is has been totally externalized based on material. You know, well, I mean, getting a wife isn't material, but it's still an external experience. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so I think Gandhi was right. I'm going to agree with Gandhi. I, I'm really? going to agree with Gandhi. You I don't agree. agree with anybody. I know. <laughs> Totally Get him on the make phone. you happy. Exactly. Get him on the phone. I know. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I, I really think it is. It's that you know what we're thinking and what we say. That alone is difficult. Uh huh. That's a huge thing. And then to act in accordance with that is yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, and I th I really think that there's so much less pressure because people who say one thing and do another 
God, it must make so much work. Yes. Like exactly. you're always having to think, oh, oh uh, and someone says, well, that's not what you said. And it's like, oh, uh, 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 you know, as you try to get your way out of it. And start or what you say it. isn't what you feel. Oh, well, right? That's, that's so like how one. many of us have jobs where we're like, oh, this is killing me. Not but me. We can't. I know, not me either. Well, it is killing me right now. You but, know, yeah. But you can't, yeah, it has ups and downs, right? That's Absolutely. the whole thing. But how many of us get up and go to work and have jobs and have panic attacks in the car or whatever on the parking lot, right? Thinking this is so not me. But yeah, we won't honor ourselves enough to actually explore what other opportunities are perhaps open. And that's the only way the choice could come about. To understand it as a, you know, happiness is something that we actually choose because we might have to do some other choices to get there. If we're in a, you know, we're in a crappy relationship, one of the options is we may have to choose to leave. Yeah. You know, the job, same thing. Yeah. You know, but what I really like about it, we talked about this a little while ago, is, is it really gives back to the individual that ultimate sense of responsibility. Agency. Agency, yeah. Got agency. Make it, things happen. Is that, where, is that where my publicist is, the agency? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the agency. <laughs> <laughs> somebody working that? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it really, it's, it's, uh, I think that's crucial. I think that's the only way we ever become grown-ups is when we take that responsibility. Uh, people get into bad jobs and then it's like, can you help me get out of this job? Yeah. You know, or yeah. get me another one. Or yeah. we're, we're always looking for someone else to help us get through something. Right. I always see this with students at the university, too, right, who are mm-hmm. like, well, I've, I hate economics, but I've already invested two years of my long, long 90-year life into it. So <laughs> I better be an ec- economist for the rest of my life to make those two years make sense. When really, maybe right. you had to study economics to realize that it wasn't your bag. Well, exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, in which case, then, you know what, they should have known that going into it. And I think they should have to study it. All the way through and do it until they're 90. All right, I'll cut them slack. 80. 80, okay. So they get a decade of, like, freedom. Freedom 80. Freedom 80, yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened to Freedom 55? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, this, this 65, conversation about happiness, what's going to make me happy? How long can somebody sustain happiness? What does happiness mean? How do we get to be happy? This isn't, like, a new thing. You know, oh, God, a lot no. of times we think that it maybe comes out of sort of the, the boomer uh, um, cohort, right? Who were perhaps the first people in modernity to really have a lot of time to sit around and contemplate what would make them happy, and to and to choose from a variety of choices, right? So we often talk about the the um, sort of narcissism of of the boomers. Right? Genji was of, not with the boomers huh? era. No, I know, just but as a point, I'm just out. telling you what yeah. the social historians say in terms oh, of oh, like social people, you know, in terms of like cultural <laughs> yeah. development, right? So they basically just say that this is something that the pursuit of happiness is something that uh, is a relatively new thing, and that's actually absolutely not true because people have been concerned about happiness and discussing happiness for centuries and centuries and centuries. As soon as we didn't have to fight for our lives and fight for our food and get out there and hunt all day. Uh, you know, I think when we became an agricultural, uh, you know, community, that, that we had just a little bit more time yeah. to contemplate. Yeah. You know, we weren't fighting. We, you know, we, we were contemplating survival. And it's, it's kind of like the hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. right? Maslow's, you know. That's Maslow's like hierarchy. We've, we've moved up from absolute outright uh, uh, survival to, you know, we just have that little bit of extra time now. Right. So um, both as individuals – Right. You have to have a certain amount of freedom in your life to actually contemplate freedom. <laughs> right. <laughs> but also as communities of people, you have to have a certain amount of security to be able to free up the time to actually be able to step back and go, well, OK, now yeah. I've got 20 minutes to actually think about how I want to spend my 20 minutes. 20 minutes this month. Exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I know. Right. Deep contemplation. And I think that's what's kind of interesting about contemporary society is we actually have technically more leisure time, supposedly, more time that we are able to devote to pursuing some of our our dreams and pursuing the things that actually make us happy. However, we seem to be caught in this paradox because um, what we do is we fill up that time instead of doing things that make ourselves happy. We fill up that time doing things that make money, which is not mutually exclusive. Sometimes making sure. money can make you happy and sometimes what you do to make money will make you happy, right? But um, but in our culture, we have this idea kind of that, well, if I suffer through this work experience, I'll be able to make enough money that will be able to create something that will make me feel happy. You call me in retirement. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I said to me, uh, are you going to retire? And it's like, why? When? Ooh. I mean, this was me, yeah. you know, what I do. You, um, you know, when I was, when, when you were talking there, uh, when I was in university, there was a, uh, this one program that I was in, uh, there was a whole, you know, computers are going to totally revolutionize the world. And one of the things as, you know, mental health workers, we need to be very aware of is we're going to have to teach people about leisure, mm-hmm. you know, how to, you know, what to do since the computer is going to take all of our, you know, work away. What are, what are our clients, our patients going to do? Yeah. Well, isn't that a joke? Um, you know, the, the more we became computerized, the more people have become busier and busier. And this whole section, I haven't even touched yet, yep. is sitting on the bookshelf waiting for people to learn about leisure, exactly. learning how to play. You know, people are like, okay, I got 20 minutes. Let's play. Yeah. 20 minutes? Really? Okay, good. Uh, this is more than I've got. I know. Yeah. I know, right? But it was interesting that that whole perception of how, you know, as we became more and more technological, we would have more and more time available. Well, that was the idea, too. Like, think about vacuum cleaners, right? And revolutionizing housework and stuff, right? Washing machines. And that was the big deal, was that it meant that all this, all these tools would allow us to free ourselves from the manual labor that is involved in just being alive. Right? And that's true. Instead, all of our time goes into fixing them. Well, yeah, for sure. But also <laughs> the standards of cleanliness went up. I know. Right? So as a result, we're living longer, we need more money. And so we have to work longer. It's a terrible. Yeah, terrible. but it just means instead of vacuuming once, you got to vacuum, you know, once a year. You have to vacuum, <laughs> right? You have to vacuum like once a season. No, you have to vacuum every week going, or <laughs> God forbid you've got animals in your house, then you should be vacuuming every couple of days. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like that's where, and who really does? Come on, honestly. No, no I honestly. know. I can tell by my outfits. Mm. Yeah. yeah. If I wear black. <laughs> I was, yeah, I can tell by my outfits. Too, no, right? gray works. Gray works. I can't see a hair from here at all. It's a good mix. <laughs> But um, but so this is kind of interesting, right? Because when we think about the discipline of psychology, psychology has mm-hmm. always historically been concerned with, and it's a relatively new sort of discipline, right? An sure. discipline. But um, psych has always been concerned with the problems of or the challenges facing people who uh, have significant issues in their life, right? So people who have been struggling. For a long time, sometimes the the sociobiological pieces or the psychobiological pieces, right, around neurobiology, um, and sometimes their personality or uh, mood disorders, that sort of thing, all the kinds of things, these disorders that you can find in the DSM, right? So, yep. so it psychology has not been concerned with happiness, and they have not been been concerned with the average regular person who just gets up every day and goes to work until relatively recently, until the 90s, right? Yeah. When, uh, when the positive psychology showed, showed up on the scene. And Marty Seligman is the guy who basically is, is thought of as being sort of the father to um, positive psychology. Positive psychology is the study of happiness and well-being, thriving, um, right. subjective well-being in mainstream population. And uh, Marty Seligman always sort of tells the story about going out to work and his daughter in the morning and his daughter basically saying, well, you always work with, you know, angry people or upset people or problem people or that kind of thing, right? People who are really struggling. And as he is driving into work, he's thinking, well, that's actually true. Why isn't psychology concerned with uh, the average everyday workings of our psyche in our everyday lives. And one of the things that we are concerned about in our everyday lives is how do we sustain happiness? How do we, how do we get happiness? How do we sustain it? Yeah. You know? Well, as you said, most of us identify happiness as those sort of peak experiences. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you just feel so, you know, uh, uh, strong and liberated and confident and everything until you wake up or, you know, whatever it is, but it's like, well, Okay. That's it? Yeah. As yeah. Peggy Lee said, is that all there is? Is that all there is? Yeah. <laughs> so positive psychology is really concerned with uh, what makes people happy from moment to moment and across longer periods of time in their sort of in their day-to-day life. So this is what they call subjective well-being. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's an important area mm-hmm. uh, because, as I said, between the elusiveness of chasing happiness and the, then the conditions we place around it, I'll be happy when – I think it's a total setup. Yeah. It's a total setup for failure. Yeah. 
Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because the entire coaching industry is predicated around this idea that, you know, you you all you just have to know what you want, then you have to set goals, and then you have to take actions, you know, around those goals. All of this is true, right? To be mm-hmm. able to achieve your happiness. For sure. But the deeper piece of it is is that happiness isn't always something that is achieved like through a master plan. And again, this gets to this idea of having happiness as a state of being. That's right. It's a state of awareness, right? Yeah, I I think sometimes maybe we need to have a master plan. Of course. At least to see what we need to clear out of the way. Of course. You know, uh, but it comes back to that whole attitude, doesn't it? Yeah, and we can do all the things, our goal setting and our operationalizations and, you know, step-by-step whatevers, and we can get to, we can reach our goal and then still be miserable, right? (laughs) So the inside and the outside have to come on the journey towards happiness with you. Exactly, and our inside, the show, and our outside with commercials is now coming together. So we need to take a break here. And this is Things Worth Considering uh, with Gord and Jan. We will be right back on the other side of these commercials. And that makes me happy. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. This is Things Worth Considering. I'm Gord Riddell, and I'm here with Dr. Jan Hill, and we are discussing the ever-elusive happiness mm-hmm. and how not to make it so elusive. So, Jan, mm-hmm. uh, what about set-point theory of happiness? Yes. Yes. I so, knew you wanted to jump on this. I love this stuff. <laughs> so, the thing to remember about positive psychology with all this research is that it's 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 uh, these are a bunch of, like, clinical researchers. So... If whenever you hear the word clinical researcher, ding, a little bell should go off in your mind that goes, oh, these people are busy quantifying everything. Mm. Everything is evidence-based. Or pathologizing everything. Perhaps after they've quantified it, right? <laughs> but, but what happens, not in positive psychology, they're not pathologizing. No, I know. But, yeah. But what they're doing is, they. so all of this is evidence-based. All of this, they don't publish stuff that doesn't have, you know, oodles of research behind it. So having said that. Uh, there is a clinical researcher named Sonia Libermirsky who talks about happiness in terms of uh, set point. So, like, what is it that makes one person happy mm. and another person beside them is not happy? And they could be exposed to the very same thing, say, in a family or whatever, but, but there's this large variation. 
And Sonia Libermirsky has discovered uh, her take is that there's actually a set point. So there's a genetic component to our capacity to feel happiness and experience happiness. So maybe that we could think of that as sort of the optimist pessimist kind of thing. Maybe right. I mean not that not to conflate. Not to conflate them completely, I guess, but you know, <laughs> like a sort of thing, right? So the yeah. set point theory of happiness it suggests that our that we actually have a level of subjective well being, and that's determined like primarily by heredity mm-hmm. and uh, and by personality traits that are are ingrained in us in a very very early early age. That's kind of the learning theory, right? And this remains constant over the over our lifespan. Okay, right. so so are we going like as as far as saying it's like DNA embedded, uh, or it's still like I the nature hard, nurture? I think it's hard to know exactly, right? How much would be DNA? We don't have a happiness whatever, marker. I don't think that we do. I don't know about no. that, but maybe there's somebody out there researching it. There but, is. Yeah, but the <laughs> idea here is is also too that we it's not just a set point, like on a number one to ten. It's not just like mm-hmm. you're a seven, always forever. The idea is that you could have a range. Yep. Between five and eight. So here's the thing. You might be a seven and your sister-in-law might be a seven, right? But she might show up. Her range might be five to eight and your range might be five to eight. But you might show up as an eight and she might show up as a five. Right. Even though, Uh, let's say, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this range thing actually gives you a lot of leeway. That's I kind of like about that, right? The other thing, so if genetics is 50%, then 10 to 20% is usually of happiness is usually attributed to life circumstances such as your age, your gender, your ethnicity, uh, your marital status, mm-hmm. uh, income, health, occupation, religious affiliation, um, that sort of thing. So access to life resources and a sense of belongingness, mm. right? Yeah, huge. And then the last twenty to thirty percent uh, is related to uh, how a person thinks and acts. Right. 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 So that's that inside outside piece. Yeah, 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 right? absolutely. How you think absolutely. and act, right? Yeah. Do you, and do you see yourself as an agent of your own destiny, right? Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm I'm kind of thinking as as people age, you know, there's a certain point, yeah, 50, 60, I think given that they say have a decent marker to begin, uh, are pretty pretty content. Let's use that word. Mm. You know, uh, it's it's when when life gets to a point in, in the elderly where there is no longer that sense of belongingness, even if it is their own family. You know, yeah. their spouse has died. There's that, you know, there's tremendous losses building up. Their life resources become less. Uh, and they see, you know, they're at the end. You mm-hmm. know, you know you're at the end. Uh, that changes things dramatically. And you begin to end to see, you know, uh, well, we know that there's an uptick in, you know, uh, uh, elderly suicide, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, which is, for some reason, you know, I happen to find very disturbing. Uh, well, yeah, and it also makes <clears throat> sense in terms of you look at how, um, ha- as we age, how we process uh, concepts around temporality, right? So the temporal world, time. Mm-hmm. So what happens as you age is you increasingly look backwards in time to make sense of the current day. When you're really young, right? When you're 18, 19, 20, whatever, you're in your whole life, you perceive your whole life as being before you. If the world doesn't make sense, you just kind of trust that it will make sense later when you've done this, 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 and this, exactly. right? And so there's, uh, there, people look forward in time a lot more. And as you age, you are, the tendency is to look backward in time. And so that's how, you know, you end up with somebody who's like 20, who's not having a very good time talking to grandma, who's trying to make sense of the 20-year-old's world by talking about what happened 40 years ago. Right, right. right? And those stories are so important. Yeah, they're so important. And there probably is a connection, right? Because they can see things over the longer period of time. Mm -hmm. But if you're 20, all you're thinking about really is like next year, next month, you know, five years from now, you're future oriented. That's right. That's Right? right. Yeah, I, I think that just underlies the the importance of you know as we age of staying engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, hey, that rhymed almost. Yeah, I work with that aging yeah. and engaging. Yeah, aging mm. and engaging. Uh, <laughs> I'm hearing a Writing show coming out. Yeah, please do. Uh, came from Gord. Yeah. Uh, the yeah that engagement and then that's engagement of the brain and and you know and so on. I mean, there is a place for all of these stories. Yeah. Oh, 
my my grandparents when they were in their 90s you know my grandmother she would have a hearing aid uh-huh. and my grandfather who was she was maybe 93 he was 98 because he died in 99 uh, and and you would see her go sort of in, in in her hair, and she would be turning her hearing aid down, and she would sit in silence. And then you you know you go nanny nanny, and then oh oh, and she'd turn her hearing aids back up, and she'd go, I've heard all these stories before. Of course. <laughs> and I just thought, after ninety years, yes, you probably wrote some of them. Yeah. Uh, is that all there it was is? So cute. Is that all there is? Exactly. <laughs> right. So like Marty Seligman talks about this in the context of the pleasant life and the good life and the meaningful life are kind of his three earlier term, like the terms from his earlier work. Uh So the pleasant life is basically, are your basic, and again, think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yep. So are your survival needs met and you have enough money left over to, you know, buy a little extra and make yourself feel okay? And can you lead a pleasant life? And there are some people who gear their whole lives around uh, creating a pleasant life. Yes. And that's that's cool. The good life is uh, somebody who has, uh, they have a sense of, uh, I want to say, they, wanna have, they have a sense of connection or they're doing things that they love, right? And they're in that flow state, perhaps, mm-hmm. right? And so they're engaged in the world around them, but in a way that where the doing pieces are actually very fulfilling for them. So their values and their skill set matches really nicely the life that they've created. Right, right. Right? So right. life feels yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's like, yeah. oh, I'm an artist. I got up and I drew today. Wow, that was easy. <laughs> Can't believe I get paid for this, right? Yeah, and then, exactly. And then there's the meaningful life, which that's really the existential piece. That's the piece about our deeper connections and feeling valued and feeling like what we bring to the world has meaning. Right. 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 So what's interesting is, as with increased secularization in the West, what's happened is the meaningful life has tended to become less significant or less accessible to people, right? And the pleasant life, thank you, industrialization, with so much stuff that we get to buy, right, Mm. has become uh, more accessible to people. So we focus more on that. And interestingly enough, the good life, which is this idea of matching your skills to the world around you and then pursuing that, has also become less accessible for most people because we have a set, you know, standard of what kind of jobs, you know, which box do we want to fit in in terms of careers, right? But it's become more accessible for people who we see as having natural talent, like artists, like musicians. They're just gifted, like athletes especially, professional athletes. They're just gifted. Right? They're just gifted. (laughs) Aren't they lucky, right? Yes, and they're lucky. And they're lucky. Yeah. Well, that... that, uh, yeah, that's really slating us into a place of loss of meaning being replaced by, you know, whoever has the most toys at the end wins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you have any choice? Uh, the, well, the whole, you know what's funny, right, is I have always have this thing where I think, well, the first half of our life is often taken up with trying to be all the things that other people need us to be. And then the second half of our life is, you know, about unlearning all that stuff. So <laughs> yes. learning, unlearning. I always say this. Right? And giving all that stuff back. Exactly. And then, you know, and then you're having all these garage sales and, you know, filling up your cart online, but never actually buying anything because you just realize you don't need anything. You, what you need to do is get off that machine. Yeah. yeah. Just filling your cart it. up and then emptying it. Oh, that's a thing. Didn't you know? No. Oh, yeah. For people who like to shop online. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, what happens? You get there and you think, oh, my God, I need like everything for Friday boots or something like that instead of just one pair this winter or something but they're all cute and then you end up buying like four or whatever but what you do is you can just put them in your cart and just leave them sit there and let them sit there and you get sort of a nice sense of fulfillment you can go back and visit your cart you can go and look at them again and all you know a lot of people do that. Well, well, a lot. Yeah, because there's this whole technology built you know, around I've how you get this people entire to buy. segment of the population. They don't come and see me for some reason. Well, that's right. So there's this whole, <laughs> I mean, there's entire Thank careers you. built upon getting people, right, to, you know, go back to their abandoned carts and purchase. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. That's just wild. Mm. I really haven't heard that. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Huh. Okay. I guess because I'm not into it. I mean, about that. Uh, I'm sorry? I wonder what Gandhi would say about that. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't think he, he couldn't even imagine technology in that in that statement. 
you know, not even remotely. So, uh, anyways, yeah. Maybe okay. he'd say it all depends on whether you see your cart half full or half empty. My cart's always half full. Yeah, there you go. You know, but I'm not going to cash out. No, don't <laughs> abandon that cart. <laughs> uh, return to sender. <laughs> address unknown. Yeah, address unknown, exactly. Yeah. They should write a song. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so uh, what about these, you know, impediments that get in the way? Yeah. I mean, we've talked, obviously, about some some key ones, like, the conditions that we place on everything. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to give like a big thumbs up to a book that is really great out there for people who want to learn more about this. It's called The Five Hurdles to Happiness. Uh, and it's written by a guy named Mitch Ablett. And it's a new book, 2018, okay. whatever. But uh, yeah, he has, uh, he's identified five hurdles to happiness. Again, this is all research-based, five of the central hurdles to happiness. And the first one is? Desire. Desire. Craving for pleasurable experiences of people, places, and things. Yep. And that's, yep, that's big out there. Yep, yep. You know, I mean, that's what feeds us going on vacation, the, a lot of fantasy. Yep. A lot of fantasy is involved. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, it is natural to want pleasure, right? Sure. Pretty natural to want pleasure. Yeah, so I think that's our You want to relax, right? you want to have good friends, you want to have a good laugh, you want to have these kinds of things, right? But uh, what the, where it becomes a hurdle is when it's compulsive craving, right? So you end up, well, going back to the shopping cart, you end up spending oh. way too much money, there's excessive costs. Or, and, or spending so much time on the computer looking at all of these resorts and all these travel packages. And yeah. I know I know people that just, oh my God, I found this to go to you know Bali or you know wherever. And it's just like, that's what they do in the evening. Yeah, wow, wow. Yeah, I know. Well, uh, it's no different than filling up your cart. No, <laughs> They're just I doing know. it with travel. Yeah, yeah, for sure, right? But, uh, but it's these extremes. Right, that can that put us in peril of addiction. Yes, and it actually impairs other aspects of our life. Right. Oh, totally. So desire, good to have, but don't have too much. Well, once you you know once you start getting into extremes, then you start getting into addictions. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and that is the pain of not being able to cash out that card. Right. <laughs> Cash you know, then leads to uh, to some sort of experience that will what we believe is deaden the pain, mm-hmm. and as we, as we all know, it doesn't. But eight uh, percent of the U.S. Uh, adults uh, U.S. adults uh, experience an alcohol use disorder at some point in their lifetime. Yeah, which is it's pretty high. Eh? Yeah, it just goes to, and that's just alcohol. So it just goes to show you how uh, prone we are to addiction. Yeah, and then you're right. That's an important one. That's just alcohol. Yeah. That doesn't take into account prescription pills. Mm-hmm. That doesn't take into, you know, recreational use of drugs and food. Shopping sex. Sex, gambling, yeah. rock and roll. I mean, you know, all those yeah. things. Expensive face creams. Oh. <laughs> right. uh, Oh damn! Well, cosmetic surgery. Hell, that come on. That's not an addiction. <laughs> no, it's a necessity. Uh, okay, so from desire, <laughs> we go to aversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I oscillate back and forth between that all day. Yeah, desire. That's desire. So true, I can't right? stand that person. Desire and aversion, right? <laughs> Anger, frustration, hostility. When we perceive that our life circumstances shouldn't be the way that they actually are, right? That's shouldn't that. be like this. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. I should be somewhere else. Yeah. Biggest, yeah. big, big tripping place they in our life. should treat me like that. That's right. Right? Yep. So we all get irritable and frustrated uh, with our daily life, right, from time to time. And so it's it's natural to want to push away from, of like, aversive situations, to leave that job, to get away from those people, right, that sort of thing. However, when we do that, unless they're truly toxic people, but when yes. we do that in our daily life on a daily basis, we actually push away the people who are part of our support mechanism. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, this, the, again, is that extreme of everybody's toxic. Well, yeah. no, you need to really know, though, who is. Chances are we hang on to the people who are toxic yeah. uh, until we really wake up. Um, speaking of toxicity mm-hmm. and physical health, let's take a break. Okay. <laughs> this is Gordon Jan, who are non-toxic. Uh, and uh, we're on Voice of America Internet Radio, and we will be back in two minutes. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, this is Things Worth Considering, and we're back, and we are talking about how to attain happiness. Probably more importantly is not how we attain it, but how do we keep it uh, in a healthy way for ourselves? Um, so we've been talking about the uh, the work of this uh, fairly new author, uh, Mitch uh, uh, Mitch Ablett, and the five hurdles to happiness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we we've, we've talked about uh, before the break desire and aversion, and. Uh, well, where do we go? Mental fatigue. I've never had it. I know. I feel almost too tired to talk about this. Oh, God. Me too. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's that dull, have exactly, <laughs> that dull, sluggish state of mind that actually it just saps our um, concentration, our ability to see others, and, and our ability to see the world and ourselves clearly, right? So yeah. we're all in that like zone out. Like we all zone out on occasion from time to time, right? And um But isn't that what it like vacation is for kind of or weekends or Well maybe. I think that's a, kind of the idea that was first yeah. thought up back Well, so, and it's okay to zone out, right? Like everybody does it. That's actually the brain resting. So that's kind of a good thing. But when our minds regularly regularly tune out the world around us and um and or be, and we do that because we find it because we have an aversion, right? <laughs> uh, in some way that this sometimes create a, creates a really unnecessary cost to oh, us, right? Oh my God, yes. I yeah. mean, in our our professional lives, if you tune out, it will cost you a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's right? called the death of a, a therapeutic relationship. Yeah, get paid to listen, and so what it is, you have to really, really listen. You got to yeah. listen to what's there and what's not there, right? And I, I, I think it's really important to recognize that, right? Is that listening can be exhausting? Oh, absolutely, right? absolutely. The mm-hmm. same as the same as speaking all day when you were teaching. Mm-hmm. That's oh, exhausting yeah. as well because that also really includes your brain. Yep, uh, for sure. Uh, having to work as well. Yeah. Um, the National Health and Nutrition um, Examination Survey this last year uh, reported, this is going to blow your socks off, 26.5% of individuals in the U.S. over the age of 16 report feeling unrested during the day, and 25% report difficulty concentrating. I believe it. Mental fatigue. I think we're overstimulated. It's chronic. Yeah. Or at least that's my, my instant mm-hmm. uh, prognosis. Uh, yeah. Uh, is we're, we're just so overstimulated um, you know, the, the, the whole thing with, with these smartphones, so mm-hmm. someone, someone has equated these as being the new cigarettes. No, 
you know, mm-hmm. is people always have their pack of cigarettes. When in doubt, just light up a smoke, you know. But now it's just turn on your iPhone, your smartphone, you're in touch with the world, which you're not. Okay, you're, you, it's you and a machine here. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone's sending you back. You think it's your friend that's typing you back, but it could be, you know, <laughs> someone at Apple that's doing all this. Yeah. Yeah, because they figured out who we are. Well, when they ping you, the same uh, part of your brain lights up as it does when you're sitting in a slot machine. Interesting. Yeah. And that, which, as we know, is very addictive yeah, for a lot of people. Yeah, that's why I don't ping people. Yeah, I yeah. saw this very, very funny Facebook thing. And it was this kid sits down, and he's got his, he's eating breakfast, and he's got this this uh, uh, phone in front of him, and the mother comes up behind him with his big packing tape, and just tapes the thing to his face, okay. and just goes at going, no phones at breakfast. <laughs> I thought it was hysterical. It was it was just hysterical. Being, just, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been to social things and people are sitting around on their their phones. Yeah. Why yeah. don't you stay just home and do that? Right. So that actually feeds into the fourth hurdle, which is restlessness. Right. Mm. So because we live in this uh, state especially in the cities, right, where we're constantly inundated with stimuli, right, there's a certain kind of restlessness that becomes part of our baseline. So where we're anticipating the threat always of negative outcomes, right? And, Mm -hmm. and, And that makes us, because we're anticipating the threat, we're wondering what's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing we get, uh, we're less capable to actually live in the moment and to look around and appreciate the moment, Right, right, right. So all those things, feeling awe, feeling inspiration, feeling all those things disappear, right? Because we can't connect to the moment. So our powerful human brain, um, it evolved. You've mentioned this many times to help us quickly and efficiently anticipate threats in our environment. And when anticity, when anxiety becomes extreme, it can seriously block us hmm. in everyday life, right? We it's like we're strategizing an entire war inside of us. Yeah. Yeah. And again, in a 12-month period, period, approximately 25% of U.S. adults would meet diagnostic criteria for an anxiety disorder. And in 2004, anxiety disorders cost the European Union more than 41 billion, billion euros. euros. That's staggering. Yeah. That is absolutely staggering. That's in 2004. Yeah. So So that's uh, an old stat. Future cost of money, uh, you know, probably about 50, you know, 50 billion euros. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Well, that ain't exactly chump change here. No, exactly, right? uh, When we look at, uh, you know, internationally, uh, depression is the number one cause of lost work. Well, right. And depression can also, like situationally uh, created depression, can come from, right, living, you know, you're overwhelmed, 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 and then you can't take the over, and your body just shuts down, and everything, you go boom, right down into depression. It's like a forced rest period. Very much so. Right? Very much so. Uh, And it is, you know, it it is this forced shutdown, and you just kind of become cold. Yeah. It's like no more stimulation. I I don't want to feel anything. Yeah. You know? Uh, And also, you know, this whole restlessness thing certainly accounts for the increase in in diagnostics of, of ADD and ADHD. Right. You know, that's like really going through the roof. Mm-hmm. But it's also, unfortunately, taking pharmacology with it, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of drugs that are being being uh, 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 prescribed for it. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about 50-year-olds. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, well, I wasn't, I just wasn't, you know, uh, uh, diagnosed. But the fact is, is that you went through school, you went through university, you know, but I think that even at age 50, we've got people that are being overly stimulated. Well, I think especially, I think, you know, like there's a, there's a certain amount of neuroscience on this, right? Is that the amount of of stimulation that you are exposed to as a child, like your brain centers develop differently. So the outside of your brain, basically, this is so, um, like, it's just so rudimentary to say it this way, but the outside of your brain um, becomes more wired than, than the inner parts that require deeper thinking. Yep. So people who didn't grow up with technology or grew up with sort of a slower presentation of stimuli are able to uh, assess and deconstruct and do critical thinking way better because they actually have the neural capacity to do it mm-hmm. than, than people who grew up in a more sort of heightened stimuli environment, right? But here's the flip side of it is, is that people who are who grew up in a calmer environment with less stimuli are less able, like they're slower in terms of actually sorting through relevant information. Hmm. 
right? So dinosaurs coming at you and you're like, hmm, I wonder if I should run. Well, now let me think about that, (laughs) right? Like how threatening is that dinosaur? Whereas somebody who grew up with a lot of stimuli around them would be gone in a flash, right? Yeah, it's called street smarts. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you know what I mean? So there's good and bad and everything. But And then the last piece uh, that uh, Ablett talks about, the last uh, criteria piece, is called doubt. He calls it doubt. So uncertainty about our situation and ourselves. This blocks our ability to see the way forward, right, mm-hmm. with, uh, with like flexibility and willingness to engage with challenges and demands that are prevalent in our daily life. Right? Oh, well, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's he's – uh, and, and you know, looking at these ones, it's, it's like he's lumped together sort of the underlying psych problems and, and brought them up to the surface and said, this becomes yeah. doubt, this becomes aversion. But, you know, the, the doubt, I mean, low self-esteem, yeah. lack of confidence, abuse, trauma, all of those things, of course, make us feel less confident, make us doubt our ability, our deservingness, our lovability, our... All of those things. Yeah, so, for sure. So it's like, I, I think he's found a really nice way of not pathologizing this. I think so, too. Because the, the average, I think the average, you know, uh, psychotherapist, psychologist is going to work from a place of, okay, well, that's the things I just named, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are, you know, sort of can be pathologized. Uh, uh, I think the danger, and hopefully he's seeing that, is that human life is becoming pathologized. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah and that's, exactly. that, I find that very disturbing. Well, and part of it is, right? Like, it's a conundrum because historically when we think about what's been the purpose of medicine and what's been the purpose of psychology is to identify the extreme. And now what seems to have happened is the extreme situation seems to become sort of mainstream. It becomes and so that's what's happened is now there's a pathologization, a pathologization of like mainstream society where we're all walking around, which suggests like if you were to think about this from a biological perspective, the only time that you have the mainstream of any population affected by something pathological is when you have an epidemic. Right. So what we actually have you know, if we take it that far, is an epidemic. It's of a pandemic. Hurdles, <laughs> a pandemic. Yeah, uh, and uh, hurdles to happiness. We have an epidemic of that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's interesting way of looking at it from a biology, yeah, uh, disease model. Yeah. Uh, but I think that most of our life is beginning to be looked that way. You know, just just when people is that normal for me to feel this way? Yeah. Of course it is. You yeah. know, the other thing too is is that recognizing there is no right or wrong. There is an awareness of, am I hurting myself? Right. You know, self-harm plays in, into here. Of course, harming of, of other people. But I think that we need to understand how nothing is wrong, nothing is right, <laughs> uh, and that we're constantly changing our new, to a new normal. Right, right. You know, as we age, like, if we slept for eight hours uninterrupted at 21, now we're at 41 and we're not, you know, there's nothing wrong with you other than the fact you're 20 years older. Right. And you're probably maybe getting a large prostate. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, some of this is about, you know, if we think about it in terms of practicing mindfulness in a way, right? It's about understanding and observing how these things affect us, right? And then in just the observation piece of it, the meaning, the thoughts, the images, our uncomfortable body sensations, whatever, all these things that we are observing take on a different meaning. Yes. Right? Yep, As they absolutely. reveal themselves to us. So mindfulness is is this state of non-judgmental, sort of paying attention to one's experience in the present moment, right? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of key to untangling or detangling ourselves from um, these habitual ways of responding, right? Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I still I still have, you know, a bit of issue with, uh, I mean, it's really after the teacher to make sure it doesn't happen, but how the more aware people become of their bodies and sensations and what's going on there mm. is sort of, one, uh, uh, becoming very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, uh, when, when someone is like, oh, my God. I think I have a lump here. I think I have, you know, hypochondriac. There yeah, we yeah, go. Yeah. I'm looking for claustrophobia. I think that too, maybe. But hypochondriacs or uh, just becoming so self-centered about their own 
their own personal experience that it invalidates an ability to connect. Right. So being mindful, if you are truly mindful and following the path of mindfulness, then you notice actually how mindfulness affects you. Right. So that would just be something that you notice. Um, Ablett talks about some of the ways that you can practice uh, um he calls it snapping, S-N-A-P-P. Oh, yeah, yeah, Snapping yeah. awake, how you, can, how you can deal with this and pay attention to these hurdles. And one is you can stop what you're doing for just a moment uh, when you can tell that you're getting triggered by something in your environment. So you just stop it and you go, oh, okay, here I am being triggered. So that's the awareness piece, right? Right. Yeah. And the right. second thing you can do is you can notice with curiosity what's happening in your body. So this is that physical connection, like the connection between the mind and the body, right? And just notice that connection between your mind and your body and witnessing and watching um, the... You don't have the, to share it either. Yeah, exactly. Right? You don't have to put it <laughs> do on Do you know what I'm feeling right now? Don't. No, I don't want to know. Don't know. No. Right. But this actually <laughs> allows us to this sort of continuous flow of thoughts and mental images, right, between our body and our mind actually allows us to understand ourselves at a deeper level. And that's that's part one of the very important goals of mindfulness right there, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's also, you know, the the uh, the no path way is interrupted as well. Yeah. So that that you then have an opportunity, if you wish, to actually change that experience. Right. And the third piece of it is is exactly that. Right. Is to be non-judgmental. Right. Don't attempt to control it. Just notice what you notice and allow that to be information. Yeah. Right, just information, and it doesn't mean you're signing up for discomfort or pain or anything like that. Right, you're choosing to recognize. <laughs> you what's don't have to check into the, the Mayo Clinic, and you're just trying to change it through recognizing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. Um, you know, I think uh, my mindfulness is telling me we're uh, coming up to the end of the show. Okay, so can I just mention the last two? You P's? sure can. Can I mention the last two P's? Yeah. P's, the PPs. Go. So the last one is to <laughs> is actually penetrate uncomfortable sensations in the body with full deep belly breaths so just breathe through what Mm. you notice and the last one is to prompt yourself to move on or act with intention in the direction that feels most important and comfortable to you okay right yep i i buy both of those yep there you go yep i buy both of those okay uh hopefully we give you something to look at here uh in terms of happiness stop chasing it just Mm -hmm. be it make a choice um because it really is a, a choice um We'll uh, be back, of course, next week, and uh, we're uh, yeah we're looking forward to some upcoming shows with uh, some good stuff on it. Uh, you can get in touch with us. You can let us know uh, how we're doing at any point uh, at uh, uh, info at uh, spiritgrows.ca uh, or through the Transformational Arts College at any time. So this is Gord and um, my cohort Jan, and we're saying have a great week. And be happy. Be happy. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are. 